I would like to talk to you today about fishing. I'm going to tell you sort of at length some things about fishing, and I think if you will just sort of bear with me, it'll make sense later on as to why I want to emphasize that particular activity or sport. So I grew up in Northern Ireland, and one of my favorite things to do was to go on the weekends to my grandparents' house, and we lived, um, you know, maybe uh, probably about 20 miles away from their house in, in Ireland. That's a great distance. And we would make the journey. And what I loved about their place was that they live right in this little fishing village called Annalong. And I loved going to the harbor, oftentimes with my cousin John, who lived just along from my grandparents. And John and I would... Um, we would jump on to the fishing boats. So the sea off of Anlong is very rough at times. And so the harbor has to be protected by quite a, a large breakwater. And you can walk all the way to the end of the breakwater. And we would do that. And then we would jump on to the fishing boats as they came back in, or sometimes even as they were leaving. And then they would tell us right away to jump off. And we were done with that. I I remember the first time my dad allowed me to come fishing with him. So my dad's family had this boat. It it looked like, you know, sort of like a whaler, if you can envision that that sort of a boat. And we would fish for mackerel. Um mackerel is that lovely fish with the sort of rainbowish back black and blue um reflection on it. And uh, to, to fish for mackerel, we would use a reel. So no rods, no nets. So you would use a reel, which was basically, you know, like a, um, you know, that kind of thing. And the, uh, the line was wrapped all the way along that. And you had, to, you had to let out the line by hand, sort of by unwrapping the reel. And th- th- the operating end of your fishing line had either seven or eight hooks and each of those hooks was accompanied by a feather and when we would be um, out at the right fishing spot we would put down the line and when we hit a school of mackerel all of the hooks and and feathers were occupied because they would all strike at the same time because you would come into this, you know, big school of fish. And then the job was to try to haul, you know, um, I don't know how much they weighed, but eight or nine fish into the boat. So I I was probably an 11 or 12-year-old the first time my dad took me on the fishing expedition. And it was just, it was you know, the highlight of of my life for, for several years around then. So fishing is a fascinating um, sport, a fascinating occupation. And as, as time went on, um, we moved from Ireland, came to Canada. And once again, you know, there's, there's just something about fishing that draws you to it. And we had the opportunity when we moved to Vancouver to go salmon fishing. And the deal was that we had several friends who were our age. At that point, we were in our 20s. 
but their parents had these lovely boats. So every now and then, the parents would let their children, our friends, take the boat out. And so we would go fishing, and off of the coast of, of Vancouver, we would fish for salmon. And if I thought that it was a thrill to catch mackerel with my you know, jigging in the water, so much more was it exciting to catch a salmon. So we had, um, you know, these huge rods um, from the boat, and then the um, the line went way down into the water, and they had what they called downriggers, which was sort of a waiting mechanism that made the line go way down deep to wherever the fish were. So often, you know, you had a, a fish finder, and when you knew what depth the fish would be at, you would send the downrigger that down um, to that depth and hopefully catch a fish. And we did catch fish. One of the most um, amazing experiences I've ever had was reeling in a lovely salmon. And I say reeling it in because I did start to reel it in, but just as I almost got the salmon to the boat, a bald eagle swooped down and stole my salmon off the line. I mean, it was like, it was one of those, um, you know, confusing times because the splendor of that incredible eagle coming down and stealing my salmon was gorgeous, but it stole my salmon. However, there were some more fish to be had. Fast forward, we moved to Ontario, and... Uh, Every chance I had, I would try to to fish, um, much to the ridicule of my friends, because the only fishing rod I had was an ocean rod. And if you show up to fish in a river or a lake with an ocean rod, um, you know, you will draw some laughter, because the ocean rod was overkill, for sure. Fishing, what is that all about? The book of James is a book full of wonderful wisdom. I mean, it is it is indeed sort of the Proverbs of the New Testament. And one of the topics that James approaches is the topic of temptation. And he, he gives us really, really interesting information about the dynamics of temptation. Now, one of the dilemmas in the book of James is that the word testing is the same as the word temptation. So one Greek word, and there are two English words to translate it. So you kind of have to ask, well, what is James talking about here? Is he talking about testing, which we said last week he was talking about, or is he talking about temptation? So quickly, he makes it clear to us that he's talking now about temptation and says, you know, don't ever say that when you're being tempted, you're being tempted by God because God is never tempted by evil, nor does God ever tempt people with evil. So, you know, get that out of your mind. But let me talk to you about temptation, says James. And here's what um, he tells us. And I want to quickly come back to my fishing stories and explain why I brought them up today. James chapter 1, he says, But each one is tempted when by his own desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, 
gives birth to death. Temptation. What is temptation? Are, are you tempted? Are you regularly tempted? What are you tempted to do? Um, just digging into that a little bit this morning might help us see where this is a practical lesson for us. We are all tempted. Um, we're tempted in various ways. We're tempted to do various things. And what I am tempted about probably will be different from what you are tempted about. When we begin to think about temptation, I think we immediately you know, have our minds go to some sordid kind of place and say, oh yeah, temptation is that really awful, dirty thing that you're tempted to do, and it's shameful even to talk about, you know, even to think about. But temptation uh, is something that, that operates in us in a whole lot of ways, in a whole lot of areas. So this morning, if, if you're able to just say, well, I, I do know that I am tempted, and I should be courageous enough to say that I am tempted. There is nothing sinful in being tempted. The sin is not in, in the experience of being tempted. Sin is what happens as a result of succumbing to temptation, we might say. And in, in this verse, uh, J- James actually says, yeah, you know what? When temptation reaches its you know, end result, it actually brings you into the realm of death. So it's a very serious thing that uh, if in fact we are experiencing temptation in our lives, the way that we deal with that phenomenon is critical because it, it will either uh, lead us into or keep us on a path of life or it will move us over into a, a darkness and and really the the path of death the the whole realm of life and living that is more death-like than life-like so again the wisdom of james in my view in this particular topic is is exposed by the very language he uses by the the very vocabulary that he uses and i hope that today it will it will mean something to you so what i'd like to do is sort of take apart this verse and and look at just three parts of it three little phrases or words and see if we can understand what james is talking about when he is addressing Um, the whole phenomenon of temptation. So he says, each one is tempted when by his own desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. By his own desire. A way to translate that would would be to say that each one is tempted when by his own inclination or by his own unique way, by his own particular realm of sensing and living, he's dragged away and so on. And we'll look at the rest of it in a moment. But to begin with, we do understand that temptation is diverse. And what James is saying here is that 
the temptation that, that comes my way will be, in a sense, kind of tailor-made or suited to me. So what tempts me is something that relates to the makeup that is me. It, 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 it is my desire, the uniqueness of my desire, um, the particularness of my desire that becomes the, the object of temptation. And so someone might admit to be tempted by one thing, and a friend might say, I'm not tempted by that at all. You know, and a guy might say, I am tempted by that Lamborghini, and his wife would say, don't even look at it. I'm not interested. I would never be interested, and I don't even ride in a Lamborghini. And you're thinking, well, how can one thing tempt me so much and yet have no effect at all on someone else? Well, we, we do need to understand that, that the phenomenon of desire is something that is created into us. So desire in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, much of the desire that we have is good. And when we desire the right objects, when we desire the right person in the right time, in the right way, desire is a very, very healthy um, experience of, of the human life. Way back at the, the beginning, um, Jewish theologians would say that the desire that was created into humankind became differentiated. So they would say that at one point, desire was simply a good human impulse or a good human response or mechanism. But, but they would say that in the garden, man's desire, humankind's desire, became differentiated. So it be became um, a two-pronged reality. There was the good desire and the evil desire in the human person because of the fall. They refer to it in the Hebrew terms as the good yetzer and the evil yetzer and would, would understand trying to live a faithful or religious life as being responding to the right Yetzer in a person's life and to the good Yetzer. Um, certainly in the garden, the question of desire um, came into play. So we're told the story of, of Eve and the serpent. And later on, um, she is picked up as a prime example of temptation. And we're told that when Eve saw the fruit, whatever that fruit was, she saw that it was good. And she discovered that it tasted good. And she believed that it was good to give wisdom to its eater. So those are the three areas in which desire now differentiated, begins to operate in the human person. So um, Richard Foster, in his book, sort of um, paraphrases the three, and it's become a familiar set of three, money, sex, and power. So the area in which we are tempted 
is very often in one of those three or two of those three or three of those three. And if you sort of catalog all of your temptations and those three don't capture all of them for you, I, I dare say they at least have, have captured the lion's share. So a person, because of his or her unique design, unique makeup, um, will be attracted to one or the other of these three as sort of the negative side of a positive desire. So the, the Yatzer is differentiated, and so money, sex, and power become the, the sort of the dynamic of the evil Yatzer, the bad desire. And we can probably all understand what temptation would look like in each of those areas. Probably the hardest one to understand is, is the third one, the idea of being made wise by taking the fruit and how in the world that is a, a temptation. So money and sex. Money is um, the things I would like to have. Um, sex is about experience, is about the things I would like to do. So I may be tempted by wanting to have something. I may be tempted by wanting to do something. And the having or doing would depend on what the object is as to whether it's good or bad. But certainly in the area of temptation to do something bad, we can imagine how there are temptations in the realm of money and of sex. Power, or Eve's desire to be made wise, what is that? How, how does that work into um, a differentiated set or, or um, binary of, of two pursuits in, in life. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they had no sense of self. They were completely given to the other. Um, Adam, when he was first brought Eve, was just taken by her beauty, um, and they in the garden were told that they were naked and they were not ashamed because they had no sense of self until they sinned. And when they sinned, um, God came looking for them in the garden and they were hiding. Well, why were they hiding? God asked them why they were hiding. And they said, because we were naked. And God said, well, who told you you were naked? Where did you get this knowledge? And then you know, God probed and said, did you eat of the fruit? And you know, the game was up. Well, what, what happened um, in, in this realm of, of self-awareness is that all of a sudden Adam and Eve became aware of self. They became conscious of self. They became protective of self. Um, and so the, they actually turned on each other and blamed. Uh, Eve blamed the serpent. Adam blamed Eve. And blaming has been one of the ways that, w that we react to being fallen, self-aware individuals. So because of that, th there, are, there are things that come into our pathways that threaten the self of me. And 
and and I am open to temptation in many many ways in in this one of the three because um, I'm very vulnerable in terms of my selfness so I I may be tempted because I have poor esteem I I struggle with who I am and somebody might say something or do something and it threatens even further my sense of esteem and so I may be tempted to try to correct that either by resenting or even you know maybe by setting up a little competition and trying to prove that I'm actually better than I'm feeling I am or that this person may have suggested I am and and this kind of turmoil uh, comes into our, our paths as as human beings because we have sinned and because we have a differentiated Yetzer and because temptations come our way. James says um, everyone is tempted when by his own desire in, in, a, in, a, in a, a way that is suited particularly to his kind of desiring. What are the things in which I need to change or grow? Um, what are the things that I know are out of whack in, in my being, in, 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 in my life? Well, as Satan understands where I am vulnerable, he will certainly attack at those points and they will be the realm of temptation for me. So understanding who I am, what I'm made of, and what I am likely to be tempted by is a wise beginning to the understanding of this whole uh, experience and then to managing it as, as we go farther. But let me remind you about fishing. And I will give you a little teaser as to where I'm, I'm going to go with this. Depending on what kind of fish you want to catch will be the way that you approach catching that fish. So the question really is what kind of fish are you? Because depending on the fish that you are will be um, the way that Satan and, and even your own flesh will try to trap you, will try to catch you. So James goes on, and he, here's what I think is is amazing about the way that he sort of um, paints a picture of temptation. He says, each one of us is tempted when, by my own desire, according to the way I'm wired up to the person I am, I am dragged away. The term dragged away means lured. It is the word that would be used by, by fisher persons. And th the two ways that temptation is described here are fishing terms. So the first of the fishing terms is this one, dragged away or lured away. So what is a lure? A lure is what you would use um, to do quite exactly that, to lure a fish towards something. So um, when I was fishing for mackerel, you didn't have to be too, too um, smart, clever. You just used a feather and a hook and the mackerel would go for it. They would strike. W when we were fishing for salmon, 
Um, again, very bright, you know, big silver reflecting kinds of things would lure the salmon towards my line. If, if I'm fishing in the lake, I might have gone to the sports store and I might have looked at the, the counter and the displays and I, I might have chosen a certain lure. I, I might have chosen um, a lure that's going to wobble. I might have chosen a lure that's going to spin. Uh, and I will have chosen that lure because there's a certain kind of fish I'm trying to catch. So will I float the lure on the top of the water because I know the fish will rise to it? Will I make the lure um, look exactly like the, um, the diet that my fish is interested in? And again, it's, it's this whole notion of getting the attention of the fish and luring it towards something. Well, it gets even worse when James says that according to our own desire, according to the kind of fish we are, we are lured and enticed. And the word enticed is the word baited. So we are lured towards bait. And the lure will not harm the fish. But when the fish takes the bait, there will always be a hook in the bait. And so James says that's what happens. Um, temptation understands what kind of fish you are. It understands what would lure you out of your safe hiding place. And then it presents to you something that is so enticing that you're ready to strike at it. By the time we've gone that far, James would describe the pathology of, of temptation as, as being well down the pathway towards death. So when the fish takes the bait, it's game over. All I have to do is land the fish. If the fish is strong enough, smart enough, if they are, they can spit the, the hook out. They will fight the hook. Um, we will st strive to land a fish. We will play the fish. We will wait with the salmon, for example, until they're tired. And you wait for the last kick where they will have one last opportunity to try to spit out the, the hook and maybe even play dead, so to speak, before you bring them onto the boat. And then they get a burst of life and try to break away. But the game is really almost over for them because they've been lured and they've been hooked and now you're going to put them into the boat. The way that temptation operates is exactly like that. We are in our resting place or in our good place. If we were to describe living life in, in, a, in a good way, in a, in a satisfactory way, when things seem to be right around us. And we, we would do well to identify where those places are, what it is that contributes to those being the good place, the resting place, um, the home for me. 
because whatever is good about that, I need to celebrate and I need to hold on to and I need to stay there. Temptation, when it begins to operate, begins to draw me away from that place. That's why in the Christian life we talk so much about the word of God and about prayer and about meditation, um, about all of the disciplines of the Christian life because they are ways that we can enhance um, our home place, uh, our, our resting place, our safe haven. And when we let go of those things, when we forget how valuable they are to us or how important they are to us, then we tend to become prey um, to the fishermen trying to pull the fish out of its hiding place, out of its safe place. When I notice a lure, it needs to be a big sign to me that I'm in danger. If something in my life is luring me away from that which is good and right and true, I really need immediately to catch myself on and say, I don't want that lure to to entice me away. And when that lure actually has the result of attracting me to and bringing me to bait, when I take the bait, I'm done. Barring some rescue, I'm done. Now, sinning did not happen by being lured. But sinning happens when we take bait. And when we think about the areas in which we are um, tempted, we can all identify that, that, that we know where the sinning began to happen. It didn't begin to happen when we're, we're noticing something or someone. It, it, it doesn't begin when we may be inclined to look. But it begins in earnest when we begin to take the bait. So I had a good friend in Vancouver who was a police officer and he was a, a traffic cop, rode a motorcycle. And he, he said that they say that it's the second look that's the trouble. He had a spin on it. He, he said when, when an ordinary person passes a pretty girl and notices her, what does he do? He, he goes around the block to have a second look. When a traffic cop sees a pretty girl, he goes around the block so she can have a second look. Anyway, it's the second look that gets us in trouble. But do you see the, the beautiful wisdom of James that said that's, that's exactly how temptation works. It, it lures us out of the place that is good and it gets us noticing things that we shouldn't and then we strike and we're in, in great trouble. Then after desire has conceived, and now we're sort of shifting the image and, and saying it's just like conception. Something has happened when, when you know, we've been dragged away and we've been enticed. When desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death that's where we're headed that's where the fish is headed 
once the lure has operated and the fish has begun to take the bait. I want to bring you to one other verse in the New Testament, which is a verse that is of enormous importance in this whole matter of managing temptation. In the Corinthian letter, the Apostle Paul says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. I I love Paul's frankness. He's saying, come on, you think you're the only one tempted this way? And I've had folks say, you know, I couldn't help it. I couldn't stop myself. You don't understand. I mean, it, it was it was more powerful in me than ordinary. And you go, stop, stop. None of us faces temptation that's not common to all of us. So, okay, we're all on level ground here. We all are tempted. We're all tempted by various things at various times in various ways in the various ways that will operate in us given our makeup. But here's what Paul says, God is faithful. And listen to this. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. I don't know if you've noticed, but with every active temptation comes a way out. There's always a moment, there's always an opportunity between the lure and the bait. There's always the decision that has to be made. Every time we sin, it's because we chose to sin. Every time we give in to temptation, it's because we decided to give in to temptation. Does it make sense? No, because where we were, that safe place, that lovely place, was good for us. Somehow we decide, though, to pay attention to the lure. We think, maybe that would be better. Maybe she would be better. He would be better. There would be better. Um, And then before we know it, there's some actual bait that we might strike at. One of the most interesting things about lake fishing or river fishing is, you know, you do a lot of catch and release, so you don't really want the fish, but you want the sport. Have you caught a fish and set it free only to have the same fish come back and take the bait again? How crazy is that? And you say, I am sure that's the same fish I've already caught. Well, I don't know how big fish's brains are. You know, obviously they're not huge. But what was it thinking when it allowed the same lure to attract it twice? How much more should we catch ourselves and say, wait, I've seen this lure before. And maybe I have or maybe I haven't taken the bait before, but I'm not going to take the bait this time. And, And what Paul is saying Um, gives us the material with which to let our minds make the right decision. With every temptation, God provides a way out, a way to escape, so that we may bear up under it, is, is his language. So temptation is common to all of us. You're not special because you have this awful temptation. You're not worse 
because you have this awful temptation. It happens to all of us. And the lure, we would be wise to identify what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it smells like, what it tastes like when it comes our way. And we would be wise to say, okay, after the lure comes the bait. I'm not going to take the bait. I'm going to turn. When the lure appears, it'll be a sign to me that there's a way of escape. There's a way out. So check it out. When temptation comes your way, and don't say, oh, I'm never tempted. We are all tempted. When the next temptation comes your way, when it's something about what you would like to have or take, when it's something you'd like to do, or when it's some weird struggle about you know, somebody having condescended to you and all of a sudden you're going to set things right in the way that you retort. Whenever any of that comes along, remember that the next thing will be some bait. And once you've taken the bait, you're done. You are then well on the way to the realm of death. James says, this good place, this home place, it's the area in which God, who gives good and perfect gifts, lives and operates. Stay there. Understand that temptation will work its work, but you don't have to give in. You can't tell me you couldn't help it, because you could. You had a choice, and you made the wrong choice or you had a choice, and you made the right choice. No temptation has taken you except what is common to everyone. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But with the temptation, he will provide a way out so that you will be able to endure it. Don't go after the same lure twice. Right? 